0: Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor, and I'm Mike Wade. Mike, so uh, when we were getting ready to record this episode, um, I noticed that we still our our first topic was supposed to be some more LDI wrap up, but uh,
1: you don't. Some say. months have rolled by. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think March is exactly like November. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: So (laughs) I think we're going to instead, we'll talk a little bit about uh, USITT because we just did that instead. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds much better. I think the biggest news of the show was the brand new Spotline Practical.
1: The Spotline Practical, you say?
0: Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who haven't seen the announcement, uh, the Spotline Practical is our newest hoist and it is wildly different than all of our other machines it is uh tiny it's uh physically small it has a small load capacity of 15 pounds um, but the biggest deal about it is that it has an electro. the electrical cord is also the lifting line or rather the lifting line is embedded in the electrical cord uh, that winds up on a yo-yo drum so you can clip on a lighting fixture or practical Practical and hoist it in and out, um, and this is like a big deal because f- for at least a couple of years, and probably long before that, uh, Mike, you've been talking about this machine. You've been talking about wanting to make this machine. So I've
1: been I've been knocking on your door for like three years to get you. It took <laughs> you to finally hire me to get it done. <laughs> See, and and let that be a lesson to everyone. Yeah. Lesson. yeah, come on to come on, to Rhode Island. <laughs> Make your own machine. It's (laughs) what could go wrong. Yeah. But so what was the, tell me a little bit about the motivation
0: for why, why did you want this machine?
1: Well, so, uh, you know, I, I have been working in the off Broadway world, which does not have, does not have, uh, you know, it doesn't have line sets, doesn't have really even flat roofs or necessarily beams up in the right place to pick things from. And, every, almost every designer that I know in the off Broadway market certainly wants to, um, they want to have a flying practical because, you know, there's no way to say a kitchen without a, without a pendant light. And you can't have the pendant light in the living room because that doesn't say living room. Uh, so figuring out how to fly those in and out without a line set, without, without really a, a solid and easy path to do the rigging turned into a, generally a giant disaster that nobody was happy with um you know Latiti was the one who was like yeah yeah we can totally make it fly they just you know whisper with the 25 pound weight on the end <clears throat> and that means like hey man my my cable comes in and out but i i don't i don't do pretty things i don't dress it <laughs> um and um <clears throat> and then it you know invariably means that there's you know, 30 pounds worth of sandbag hanging off in the wing on a f- floating pulley in order to, you know, offset the weight of the cable and pull the cable up and down. And then, you know, our poor props person is just like, well, I don't know, man, I picked the practical fixture. Like, right. that's the end of my game. <clears throat> right. Um, I got
0: the thing that looks nice.
1: Yeah. And uh, and in the end, you know, the designer always comes in and is like, Jesus Christ, all I wanted was a fucking light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> and end up with, you know, a 30-pound sandbag hanging off a piece of Schedule 40 pipe that, you know, doesn't have, just doesn't work right, you know? It's like the
0: theatrical version of the Tire Swing yeah. uh, comic, right? Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? <clears throat> what do I think I'm doing? What am I getting in reality? Yes. yes. Um, and so, you know, we have been talking about this. I mean, I joked before, but I think really we have been we started talking about this about three years ago. Yeah, when I was doing a show where, at the Atlantic, I think was the first time I talked to you about this, and then gave up on it because it didn't seem like it was going to happen. Right. Uh, and then came back up to it. I think uh, only a few months before I started working for Creative Connors, where we were trying to fly fly a sign, which was much much heavier than this. In the end, yeah. Um, but we also had some of these that i wanted to fly uh yeah. and so we talked about the idea at that point but you know between if i remember correctly you know between both of us between you guys in the shop at that point and me at the atlantic at that point like there was just, neither one of us had the bandwidth to really think about it and to make it happen
0: right right and i think if memory serves that was right around the same time we were doing that uh crazy kinetic sculpture thing with the 12 foot per second chain hoist. And it was like, this would be really fun to dig into, but we're, we're kind of full up.
1: Yeah. 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 And
0: I, I, I remember similar... those
1: excuses at least. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I got, a, I got buckets full of them. So if you don't like that one, let <laughs> me go <laughs>
1: around. I can find another one. <laughs> I got something. <them> uh... <laughs>
0: give me just a second. <laughs> give me a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, and I'd had a conversation similar to this with uh, Emmett. Uh, Emmett Kaiser, right. uh, who you we went to school with. Or I guess, was Emmett gone by the time you got to Ithaca?
1: Yeah, I, I never crossed paths with him, except for potentially at a bar, maybe. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> chances are good. But um, I don't know, it's fuzzy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, Emmett was another guy that went to Ithaca College. and um, Anyway, he's now out at the Mark Taper Forum out in L.A., and um, he, had, he had poked me sometime in that three year time frame, as well saying, you know, it'd be really nice is if you guys can make a hoist for practicals like this, something to hang a small chandelier um, that one person can come and install. And uh, yeah. And so we, but now we finally did it. So um, we did it. We did it. And it's pretty cool. I mean, I I think it's cool. Yeah. What do you think are the highlights?
1: Well, I think, I think, Other than what you talked about already, you know, being able to lift legitimately from the from the electrical cord uh, because there's a piece of aircraft cable built into it is pretty slick.
0: Um, Oh, and the and the electrical cord is flat. Like that was a design choice that to
1: keep it from rotating a lot. Yeah, Yeah, to minimize the rotation. Um, So, you know, and that seemed to be it seems to work out pretty well so far. Um, Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, the stage hand on board and it being, you know, a smart machine as it is, you know, plug in 120 volts in our showstopper and network connection. And you're, you know, off to the races.
0: Right. Um, And we should unpack that a little bit because the, that is really cool. Like that this is the first time that we've built all of the controls into the machine. So rather than having a separate stage hand, that you have to buy two components and then you have to mount two components and there's cables between them. Um, the machine and the control are all in one it's all one package and like you said it's just 110 volt power in which is cool too right that it's 110 volt single phase input power and then ethernet and e-stop and that's that's it you don't have to you don't have to mess with anything else no motor connections encoder connections limit
1: connections nothing that's all built in all done for you and I think we, you know, buried the lead on this. It's also our first servo machine. Yeah. I, I, uh. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Right. Like this is, uh, I think, the first of,
0: of many to come. But the, it's pretty sweet to, to finally get a machine out the door that is servo-based. Um, and for folks who are not in the know, so that brushless servo motors are like in some ways, like DC motors, in some ways like AC motors, they have, they're like DC motors in the sense that there is a permanent magnet inside of them. Um, but they, uh, there's no brushes. Uh, so they're super quiet. They're very responsive and you can pack a, a tremendous amount of, um, output power in a very small physical package. So the, the motor size, physical size is very small for the kind of
1: lifting capacity you get out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, two-and-a-half or three-inch roughly diameter yeah. cylinder, um, which is, you know, and then the, the gearbox, too. I mean, the gearbox is like, it's like, it fits in the palm of your hand. It's ridiculously small.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then I think all the way throughout the process has been a little bit of an adjustment for us to work on a machine that has such a low capacity, low Lifting capacity, you know, weight capacity. Yeah, we're so used to bigger things. Right. Um, it's funny to scale it all That's way, right. way, way, way down.
1: So. Yeah, and talking to the engineers through, you know, through the through that process, it was like, no, no, it it really is like 15 pounds. That is what we're going for. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Well, are you sure? I. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, we feel confident that this number is good. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we had some trouble. I, well, we're going to get there, but, you know, we had some – we had, like, the low weight rating, the low weight capacity, excuse me, where, you know, we ended up having – struggling to find, like, a, a secondary break that was actually small enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, whoa, is this, is this really the smallest you guys have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: because um, we should mention those points, too, that this thing, uh, you know, as small as it is, it is fully – you know, fully engineered as an honest to God compliant hoist. It has dual brakes. It has an emergency stop. It has slack line detection. It has, it is not a, uh, it's not, I don't know, whatever. It's not a substandard machine, right? It's, it's built to the, um, built. It is a real hoist. It just has a low capacity.
1: Meets our, meets that ANSI standard, which is pretty excellent. Uh yeah, you know, So, and that was pretty important for us too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And so speaking of that process, I thought it'd be fun to, we get some questions uh, from folks from time to time about how do we design products. And I thought it'd be fun to just kind of step through the design process on this machine so you can get a little bit of an insider view about how we work on things here. Um, You know, the first thing we do is, well, it starts with an idea. And here, you know, Mike, you had the idea of this product that you were bound and determined to make. Um, <laughs> and, and that is like the, and this came out of a personal need. Like sometimes we get that idea from customers. Sometimes we have that idea of just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool. But this was from your experience in the field working, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is also something, you know, we've talked to some technical directors out in the world and, you know, this isn't, this isn't a new problem. This isn't, you know, this also isn't like, you know, just a New York problem. This is any theater that's any black box, any tension grid, any, you know, any space that doesn't have a fly house is, you know, how do you hang that? How do you hang this fixture? How do you hang this practical here and do it? So, uh, you know, I think it's, I think that, I think there is a big need there. Right.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Or even places, well, I guess it, kind of in the same thing, but it's like, you know, thrust spaces and stuff, like you said, that don't have fly yeah. houses, or if you're out on the apron beyond outside of the fly house and you want to have something fly in, it's, yeah, there's lots of venues where that might come in handy. Um, I sure think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And given the response that we saw at USAC, I think a lot of people think so. I mean, I think that everyone was like, oh, finally. Yeah. So, so we have that idea, and then we kind of kick around as a group you know, this was you, me, Ed, Steve, uh, and Brian too in the mix, um, talking about specs. Like, and Pete, of course. Um, Pete eventually has to go sell these things, and so Pete's got a, a lot of input too about what it, you know, what's the, what do these things have to do? What are customers asking for? And we kind of come up with the, not not a full blown marketing sheet, but the bullet point list of what's going to go on the marketing sheet. We come up with those specs. First, and then where Pete really comes into play is on the pricing target. Like, where you know, we have all these things we want to do, but if we it, sell, what can we sell? Right? Because yeah. you can make anyone can make it well, I shouldn't say anyone, but it, it's it can be easy to make a Cadillac class machine for 50, dollars, right? But nobody's gonna buy it, <laughs> and so or at least not enough people are gonna buy it. Um, Some people not, might. Yeah. Yeah. But that, and that's not typically our market. We, it is not our market. That's right. Yeah. We try to make automation affordable for all sorts of uh, productions. So, uh, so we developed kind of those big bullet point specs that, that you mentioned, you know, like the 15 pound capacity. What was the speed that we were shooting for?
1: We were shooting for somewhere in the 36 to 48 inches per second. Right in the end, and you know, with the yo-yo drum, I think we landed on roughly somewhere in the forty-eight inch a second is our max speed. Right
0: um, at full wind on the yo-yo.
1: At full wind on the yo-yo, right? And you know, so <clears throat> so there is some difference in there as we as we pay out and pay in, but you know, it's yeah. still it still is uh, no slouch in getting in getting the getting the uh, practical fixture in or out of view. Which yes, is, it's brisk. It is brisk, yeah. Yeah. So the
0: 15-pound capacity, the uh, the speed spec of four,
1: uh, 48 inches a second, how much... And The lifting capacity was pretty yeah. important, too. And I think we landed on 35 feet. Yeah. So, um, you and know... And where did that
0: kind of stem... Where did that come out of?
1: Uh, it came out of the idea that, you know, if you're in... <clears throat> if you're in a big proscenium house and you're flying out, you know, you want to be out of sight lines. You're going to, if you hang this thing on a, on a batten, you're going to want to fly this batten out, you know, 30 ish feet, give or take, if you're in a 20 foot proscenium. Um, and, um, mostly just to kind of give us the, the most bang for the buck in a single, in a single unit. Yeah. Um, it might be more than most people, you know, certainly like going back to my New York roots here. um, 30 foot 35 foot to the grid god that's like broadway only Um, (laughs) yeah but um but you know going into any regional theater you know in a big thrust space like i don't know like the guthrie that's like 28 or 30 foot to the to the grid i think um so you know it's a good it's a good size yeah absolutely um and it works really nicely with the size of the drum when we finally came into figuring out calculating the torque on the, on the yo-yo. Yeah. Um, it sort of worked out, it sort of worked out nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 And then you kind of start to see that as you hit, hit the design phase too, that yeah. these, some of these numbers start to congeal into the right numbers as you're working through all of the calculations, right? Yeah. Between motor capacity and the end speed and all that. Um, And then the, you know, we wanted to make this thing easily installable by two people and ideally installable by one person. Um, I think we got the easily installable by two people down. And uh, we're not quite there on being able to make this thing easily installable by one person. It's um, the physical weight, which, you know, is determined by the weight and kind of size of the machine. And it it ends up being um, very manageable with two people, but. Awkward, I think, with one person. I don't think I'm going out on a limb there. Um, (laughs) I mean, maybe
1: awkward for you, Gareth. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not very (laughs) coordinated. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: (laughs) And then the pricing. We were. What was? I think we were originally targeting like a five thousand dollars
1: was our hope and dream price. Yeah, that was hopes and dreams were five grand on that, and they were crushed pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. It didn't take long of adding up all the numbers. No, nah, no. it's not going to happen. A tale of tears with my calculator. <laughs> <laughs> as,
0: as, as the components stack up. And yeah. this is one of the, I mean, if you're going to make a hoist with, you know, honest to God encoder feedback and dual yeah. brakes and slack line detection and, you know, pack all the safety features in that you want and put a servo motor in it. It's just. And don't forget the slip ring. Hey, ah, and the slip ring, a key component, right? Because we want to have all this cable be electrified yeah and then custom cable right to,
1: right yeah uh, custom cable which you know we're still not quite done on but you know what we've certainly found a really great uh a really great starting point with these guys you know yeah came together on it so yep um, but it's uh it is definitely you know a rabbit hole a deep dark rabbit hole of this custom cable world is like, oh, oh my gosh. We're like are we making we're not making mining equipment, are we? Like <laughs> uh, not yet. Not yet. Maybe next week. Spike yeah.
0: Mark Mining Edition. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a module. <laughs> Little digger. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> no wheel, just a digger. <laughs> just a digger. <laughs> uh yeah, and so then, yeah. Go oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. So we you know, we just we we spent through you know on the on on our component research side, Ed did a huge amount of research on finding the cable, actually, in the end. Um, yes. And we found a couple options, and the, the company we landed on ultimately were the ones who could get us the piece, get us a prototype in the amount of time that we needed. Um, and, you know, but it seemed to work out pretty nicely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we do kind of the component research, and, and you and Ed uh really spearheaded that effort with Ed doing a lot of legwork in terms of finding components right Ed, Ed
1: did a huge amount of legwork I yeah. I feel I added you know one or two components but he had he did he did the bulk of that that research yeah. and R&D on figuring out what was going to be possible and what we could get and how much it was
0: Yeah and that's something that Ed it really excels at in in my view, like uh, he's awesome about kind of taking these ethereal notions and just going out and finding a bunch of vendors that could be potential uh, suppliers for the for these yeah. projects. Yeah. And,
1: and I think when we start, when we started the first round of this. It was like right around Thanksgiving. And so that was like all the vendors were like, uh, wait a minute, there's a holiday in here. And then as we came back to the second one, I only realized this like. Last week or two weeks ago, as I started looking back at the emails, and I'm like our second real push, brought us like right before Christmas, and so then you know it's like wow we are just setting ourselves up to fail on these, you know, because every vendor is like you guys are, you guys are crazy, right? Like yeah. you're high, you don't want this tomorrow, right? Yeah, I mean I, we were hoping for it,
0: right? Because <laughs> we. And that's a good thing to talk about. I mean, there's been this idea for like three years rattling around in your brain, and then and we've talked about it in the over that time. um, But you've obviously spent more time than anyone noodling it, and then the uh, like really getting
1: kind of motivated and organized happened October, November. I think it really started. In earnest, we had a meeting. I think I came up to the shop, and Ed came up to the shop in October. Yeah, and then, but then we really didn't. Then it was like a couple of weeks of like we we're like, yeah, 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 this is really kind of we're starting, we're starting, and then, and then we really started. Yeah, and that was early-ish November. I I feel. Yeah, that sounds right because it. Steve
0: and I were still pretty well focused on floor pocket at that point, um, yes, which was the thing that we had been working on and released at LDI, of course. Um, and you guys were then rolling on to the next uh, product design. Um, and Steve and I were still banging on uh Hand apprentice as far as that goes, if memory serves, if I can yes. think back that far, it's kind of that kind of era. Yeah. Murky. And so, yeah. <laughs> so you guys were beaten on this thing in November and then, um, and then come January, Uh, it seemed like all of those design decisions were kind of congealing into, at least we know, we know what the box of parts is and we know what the requirements are and we know what the targets are and it's time to start really modeling this thing in CAD.
1: Yeah. I kind of ran into a brick wall of being able to talk about the pieces any further until we were really looking at them, even in a model in, you know, in a model sense, not necessarily in the real world, but like how can we actually start seeing how this is going to come together right um and that's where steve jumped in and was a just a machine on getting (laughs) on making these pieces turn into you know turn into a model and like we were talking like every afternoon he's like yeah you know take a look at the fusion model i was like i am how like you just like what did you do all day is your finger okay do you need some Advil or something like (laughs) he is fast at that yeah
0: (laughs) yeah he can crank out some modeling Absolutely. And it was and great. It was really it was great. great. Yeah, cuz it very, you know, things that had been started to get stuck in the rut of like, well, is is it this way or this way? This way or this way? Once you see it in the model, like you said, you can you can see like, "Oh, yeah, definitely we're going this direction." Right. We yeah, have this choice.
1: Tried, we found out really quickly that a couple of our initial goals like our you know, pie in the sky dreams were like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, don't fit. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, we can't we can't put the motor in line with the drive shaft because that's going to make this thing like four feet long. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. So we did that kind of component
0: research, and then do and then the model for our internal engineering check, and then we kind of waved it by the face of a McLaren to say, "Hey, you see any red flags here before we prototype? Just right. you know, any? Can you do a component check and make sure that we're not." Uh, walking off a cliff.
1: Yeah. And we're, we're planning to do this by the way. Like, yes. <laughs> like we are going to make one of these and yeah. you know, are we going, as you said, are we going off a cliff? Is this right. like, <clears throat> are we high? I'm going to bring it mm-hmm. back in here. Cause you know, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a cool process actually talking through with the folks from McLaren about it. Um, yeah. as we, I mean, we have done with, yeah, you know, we've done with the floor pocket, we did with the spot line, but you know, we kind of presented a a nearly complete model on this yes. um and you know, presented the idea to them and and they came back with a couple they had a couple small things, but ultimately, you know, our biggest my biggest concerns were they were going to tell us that it was just like, you know, it was a no-go yeah. or something major and they basically were like, "Yeah, this is you guys, this is pretty cool." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was sweet. And it's good to get that
0: affirmation early yeah. on so you don't feel like you're investing a huge ton of time and money into an idea that's not going to be able to get certified. Right, right, and, yeah. And then we did the mechanical and electronic design. So then, you know, after the kind of engineering spot check or sniff test, then we actually dove in hard and did the rest of, you know, the the kind of detailing on the mechanical side. And then also, you know, the electrical design, which was very similar to a lot of things that we've done, yet we were using a servo drive for the first time, and then we're also building everything into a box, so we're not connectorizing things. So, um, do that design work, and then prototype. and. Yeah
1: that happened and, really quickly
0: and that happened very <laughs> very quickly <laughs>
1: <laughs> like hey hey we're we're into the design process uh mike when are you coming up to the shop because we're gonna have some parts like, oh uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, i guess i'm gonna be at the shop when the parts arrive <laughs> <laughs> like, great, so we'll see you at lunch tomorrow yeah, we'll see you at lunch tomorrow <laughs> Yeah. And I,
0: I think that is really fun because you start to hit this kind of acceleration ramp, you know, like November starts talking about it and the component research is going on for really a couple of months. Yeah. Um, and then and then kind of design phase, you know, hardcore design phase lasts a few weeks and then prototyping is like two weeks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you have a thing and. Um, and quite a bit of that prototyping was like, we, you know, designed the electrical box and sent it out to have somebody make it, you know? So we were like, we're waiting for some pieces. Like we got through the mechanical design, we ordered a bunch of stuff. And then we're like, uh, great. When's it all yeah. coming? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. it all shows up on the same day. Wonderful. <laughs> and it, it all
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And the electrical box for, you know, we don't do, so the, on the electrical side, we don't do any sheet metal in house. So all that sheep you know we do the wiring and stuff here but the sheet metal we we farm out and then on the like plate cutting we don't do that in house either so we farm that out so we do machined parts in house but none of the sheet metal and none of the water jet cutting or laser cutting um yeah and so you're right like we we pump out a bunch of design files and then twiddle our thumbs for a, f- a few days <laughs>
1: to a week that's what we're waiting for for parts to arrive yeah that and is cool. uh, yeah It was cool. And then I then Ed and I were there on a on a Wednesday and, you know, as we had all the all the parts were arriving or had arrived. And, you know, we got in on a Wednesday morning and started putting all the parts together, you know, like it was it was pretty awesome. Um, We I think I don't even think we I guess we had to bore out a couple holes on one of the on one of the cheek plates but mm-hmm. I think beyond that, I think we had, we actually, through the modeling process, caught and got everything, which was pretty yeah. awesome. Yep. Uh, and then, so, yeah, we started on Wednesday, and then Thursday afternoon, we had the thing running. Yeah. Which was sweet.
0: Yeah, which was pretty sweet, and, like, had it running, and running queues and all that stuff, and then... Yeah. Powering the light and yeah, yeah it was really fun. I, mean, <laughs> I think I said this at the time. Like it sounds a little silly to be so tickled by like plugging in a light and watching it go up on the up and down on the hoist, but it really is fun <laughs> to see the to see it lit up. Yes and, uh, and see see that all work out yeah. of having the Very satisfying. The light. <laughs> Very satisfying. Absolutely, and just having you know, we hoist a lot of things, but never ones that you know, seldom ones that light up. At least seldom ones where you. If they light up, there's usually some giant umbilical or something that's,
1: that you also have to manage. It's really cool to just be able to plug it in and be like, oh, and there's the light. Yay! Yeah, yeah. Go back 25 minutes in the podcast and hear my exchange about the TD. <laughs>
0: yes, right, exactly.
1: Uh,
0: and then after the prototype, um, our next step, and this is kind of the phase we're in now, is rocking through design changes to get ready for production. So after the prototype, we can all kind of take notes and rattle through the design top to bottom to say what can we make better faster stronger more american in the design and um and and how can we what can we improve and streamline and uh you know just make better uh how can we how can
1: we start actually making more than just a prototype
0: right Um, right because we assume we don't want to always have you know Three or four people working on a single hoist. You know, eventually we want to
1: be able to do these things in stages and yes. um, get production line them. So, and yeah, and that I mean, one of the things that we, as we were putting together the prototype, I think, you know, this is, as you said, this is the first machine that includes the electrical box on it, and so we're not connectorizing, except for some of the servo parts that come that way. But you know, all the rest of it is, we are we are making a stage hand and a machine all in one, and so this is a slightly different approach to the wiring yeah. than, than we are used to as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's going to take a little, <laughs> it's going to take us a little bit of time to, uh, to get used to that as, yeah. the, you know, as a new, as a new path. Yep. Um, uh, but anyway, it's very cool and I'm really excited that we have it because, yeah. um, you know, cause man, <laughs> <laughs> the mic of five years ago is a little bit <laughs> yeah it's
0: exciting it's yeah. exciting so we and they tend to have the production units rolling out uh in may so that's you know we we went out and showed this thing at USATT, and we've got the <clears throat> the kind of finalization of the pricing and all that stuff happened before USATT, um and now we're you know redo or not redesigning, but revising for production, and then we see production units coming out in May is the is the current timeline on that. So we'll see. You know, uh, we'll just see how that goes. Hopefully that'll, you know, if anything, go maybe a little faster than that, but uh, we're trying to give ourselves enough time to make sure that we uh, nail everything down as tight as we can on the production units. And then, you know, eventually in the product lifecycle, they'll probably somewhere in six months, six to 12 months, they'll be a, a kind of rev a version where we go through and uh, tighten up one more time um and then typically those revision periods get longer uh, as the pro as the product ages but right through the life of it yep mm-hmm. as we hit little rough spots we kind of take notes and then sand those rough spots off in the design uh whenever whenever we can um cool well I, I think the other the other couple of things that we showed off at um, USATT are worth mentioning. So the, the floor pocket was out again. And just like we showed it at LDI, we brought it to USATT. Uh, but a lot of folks hadn't seen it in person yet because the LDI crowd and the USATT crowd are not always the same folks. So um, got a lot of awesome response to the floor pocket there, yeah, which was there, great.
1: A lot of people were really excited about it. Yeah. It's and it, it's cool. It's cool. It's at
0: like radically opposite ends of the spectrum from the spotlight and practical. I don't know what like, you're talking about. It's <laughs> like size, weight, price, capacity, the whole nine yards. But <laughs> which both I think lightweight is
1: and portable. what it's what's that? <laughs> They're both lightweight and portable. That's true. That's true. You just kind of got <laughs> just one with a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly.
0: yeah. um, and but speaks to the diversity of the product line too, which is kind of fun to see that it's growing that far. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so then another I think the next thing uh that we unveiled at this one is that we can control CM chain motors. Um yeah, specifically yeah. high speed half ton uh chain motors. So we've got uh we've got the CM hoist at eighteen inches a second, which is pretty crazy fast for a chain motor. Um yeah. they're also extraordinarily quiet. Um yeah. you know it's not and and smooth, which like quiet and smooth are not two things you put together with a chain hoist. Um, right. And, um, but they are fully, so we have dual encoders. We have a, a speed and a position encoder, dual brakes, uh, and, um, spike mark, spike mark controllable, uh, fully variable speed, zero to 18 inches a second. Yeah. Um, They're nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Uh, it's a great, comp- it's a great addition to the chain master hoist, that we also have that is 8 inches a second that we had released last year. Right. I guess, right? Was it last yep. year? Yeah. Yeah, last year, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that too is a, is a great, you know, it's an 8-inch a second machine and um, dual encoders, dual brakes, and they are very cool too. Um, yeah. You know, just not quite production ready. Um, at least not production speed ready. No, right. I think that the Chainmaster ones could fit fill a need
0: when you you know maybe for some light ladder work or some other you know just where you, where the speed demand isn't so great and and you're looking to save a few bucks because they are they are cheaper um, and they're lighter uh, which is another you know pos- depending on the right circumstance uh, could be a, a a possible win there. But the CM ones are are pretty sweet because they are fast and strong and then everyone. Knows and loves the CM brand, um, and they're the only ones that we've worked with, at least that uh let you um, run them motor down, uh,
1: even right. at high speed. Yeah, motor down is pretty great. Um, yeah, I yeah, then have some cable paging issues yeah. to like contend with. But. <laughs> Go back to twenty eight minutes ago in the podcast. Like, uh. <laughs> yes, uh. <laughs> cables. <laughs> All my cables, uh, but they're great. I mean, it's really awesome that we've got, you know, we've got those both the CM hoist, the CM chain hoist specifically is really a great addition. Um, yes, and uh, you know, and I think only uh, it's only going to get better. You know, everybody knows how to how to hang a chain hoist. Everybody knows a CM hoist.
0: Yeah, um, and they're basically half the price of a spotline. So yeah. the you know it, it's also half the speed, but. But double the load capacity, so it's depending where you fall on the weight speed ratio of what you need. um, I think the chain hoist is a very viable option, and you know significantly less expensive than uh, a wire rope. Our wire rope hoist, so you know, if eighteen inches a second is fast enough, um, that's pretty awesome. And then the I think (laughs) one thing that has become clear that isn't in our product lineup yet, but uh, we hear. We hear the the desire is that people would like a pickle um, for those hoists. Um, wouldn't? wouldn't like <laughs> <a pickle? laughs> yes, and so these are high speed hoists. Uh, they're variable speed, and we want to make sure that w- I think we we really want to make a pickle for them too. We want to make a kind of smarter pickle than just your old like Motion Lab style pickle where it's just, you know, up, down, on off. Yeah. On, off. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to get some, some better capacity in there, but certainly recognize the, the need for it. Because uh, one thing that we heard at the trade show a lot, and we've heard from theaters directly a fair amount is that they are happy to pay a little bit more for a uh, kind of production ready hoist, but boy, it'd sort of be sure be handy if they could use that also during load in to help with um, other uh, utility cha-
1: tasks, right. right? Like, yeah, right. and because these, I, maybe we didn't make this clear before, but all our chain hoists, whether they're the CM or the chain master, they are wired up and and really only work with Spike Mark. So yes, uh, they have our pro cabling built in. So. You're plugging them into a stage <laughs> yes yeah, and that's the
0: that's the key right they yeah. they have to be run by stage hands at the moment, so and I think that will continue the running by stage mm-hmm. hands, but what we're looking at is to come up with a pickle that uh can talk to the stage hands, basically, and what I think would be really cool is to end up with a kind of network enabled pickle that allows you to keep the variable speed aspect of it uh so yes. that 'Cause that house I think that would be sweet. If you if you could you know have variable speed, pickled controlled hoists and be able to rather than bump 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 here, yep. just be able to creep in the chain hoist. So,
1: or, you know, say, hey, we need to bring that in two and a half more inches and bring it in two and a half more. Two and a half, and more, half inches. more inches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Which yeah, is great.
0: So, yeah. So, so uh but that's that's on the horizon, but what's here now is the hoists themselves running on uh, stage hands and spike mark, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, the updated trick line. So for the first time ever, we brought the trick line out, and we brought it the, the new style trick line, which is uh, much better than ye old trick line. Um, it's a much more polished up version of that machine, uh, easier to mount, lighter weight. Um, it's it's pretty sweet. It still
1: does the same things, you know. Yep, it is a linear actuator, belt driven. It's pretty awesome. Yep, and a half horsepower motor. Yep,
0: which means it can plug into the Stagehand Apprentice, which we brought out for the first time at USITT, and yeah. in both of its flavors, both its uh, three-phase kind of standard configuration that we've known and loved for years, but then also the new 110 volt version, uh,
1: which is awesome. Yeah, it's really great. The 110 volt version we can plug into the wall and power up to a one horsepower three-phase motor right it's awesome uh, yeah it's really cool so our little trick line was running on 120 volt 110 volt stagehand the in, yeah. uh, in the booth <laughs> yeah indeed um and then something else that we just recently did uh we updated our turnaround sheaves you know because now they we i don't know we were looking at how they were how they worked with the with the the push stick that was updated, you know, a year and a half ago. And, um, and so now we can kind of made some adjustments to them so that we can use them as a mule coming off of the, off of a push stick. So if you have a push stick that isn't, uh, directly in line with your track, you can, you can have it set off 90 degrees and use the turnaround as a mule and then use another turnaround at the opposite end, uh, which keeps our track spacing, our deck dog spacing consistent at whatever that is, inch and seven eighths. Yeah. center to center of the line yeah and that's a really nice improvement because now
0: it's just one one piece of hardware that can be can be used in either configuration either as a as the mule or as the turnarounds and yeah simplifies the installation quite a bit which is nice so, yeah
1: it's very cool I think.
0: yeah and so and you certainly don't necessarily have to use a turner or a mule coming out of the uh push stick v2s you know mm-hmm. of course with the the zero fleet, you can tuck them right up to the end of the track. But a lot of times you do want to, like you said, tuck those two uh, ropes closer together, the return line and the haul line. Uh, And the, um, turning the winch 90 degrees to the track. So it's perpendicular with the track. You can shoot off out the front of the winch, turn 90. And at that point, adjust your spacing to the inch and seven eighths and get a tighter, tighter
1: pack. Yeah. Which is, which is actually how we came around with this, because we have three of these. We have three push sticks out on a project in LA right now, where we have yeah. a deck track that is that has three tracks in it is like twenty one inches wide. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're not sticking three of the push sticks, no matter how small of a footprint they are. Nope. Next to each other nope. like that. No.
0: Nope. Uh, so yeah, and that so a lot of really fun new stuff that we showed off at USITT, which was great and uh and it was it was a good show a lot of a lot of energy and it's always fun to like spend that much time out there with the customers and see
1: what everybody else is doing and i don't know just it's good stuff good times yeah yeah it's you know three days of <laughs> three days of getting onto the show floor and then realizing it's five o'clock you know right <laughs> like, oh my gosh where did we go <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I haven't even gone to the restroom. This is <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What other things, what other interesting things have happened? So in, in December, uh, we pushed out a, a Spike Mark update. So our current update, our current version of Spike Mark is now 3.7.1. Uh, we made a couple little bug fixes in there and a couple additions. But the biggest thing was that we updated our firmware um, on all of our stage hands to include uh, our newest feature called persistent position. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what that is, um, it, it basically stores, we are storing the current position data in the stage hand now. Um, so the battery backup is no longer necessary. Uh, once, once your machine is idle, if your stage hand is, you know, on a deck track and once it's been idle for 20 seconds, it'll pull the stage hand and see what position is currently stored. And if it's different than what it current, what the current position is, it'll write it to the stage hand. So at the end of the night, after you've saved your show and e stopped and shut down everything, you can power down your stage hands and turn them back on in the morning and their position will be the same place. Yeah,
0: it's pretty nice.
1: It is like the- really awesome. <laughs>
0: It was really awesome. It was really awesome even just taking it to uh, LDI, you know, because, or sorry, usaDT and and LDI. But, uh, no, actually, it was, it, we didn't have it for LDI. But for USIDT, we had all the all those machines prepped in the shop and, like, powered everything down, went to LDI. USAD, I keep saying it. Went to USADT rather, powered everything up, and everybody knew where they were in yeah. their position.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah,
0: that's pretty awesome.
1: It was pretty great. I was, I was on a gig in January in San Francisco, you know, we just had like a push stick out there and we're doing stuff and, you know, and the electricians kept unplugging our disconnect and, you know, (laughs) turning stuff off. And it's like, you know, in the past that would have driven me bananas. Um, but in this case I was just sort of like, yeah, whatever, you can, you can do unplug that all you want, man. (laughs) Right. It's not going to hurt me. (laughs)
0: But to get all that goodness, you gotta update Spike Mark and you gotta update your firmware.
1: Yeah. Yes. And and no, as a matter of fact, if you update Spike Mark and you don't update your firmware, things are things are gonna be no good for you. <laughs> Goofy.
0: Goofy. Because um, it totally changes how we handle reset position. Um <laughs> and reset position used to track the offset for position inside the spike mark file, which was never a great idea, but it was just kind of the the, the lesser of all evils at that point. And uh, the new persistent precision feature is a much better way of... Tra- it tracks the offset in the stage hand instead, um, and, which is much, much better. But that means that reset position, if you've got a mismatch in firmware and software, reset position, it no bueno. It doesn't work.
1: <laughs> it's no good. No mm-hmm. good whatsoever. No. <laughs> <laughs> How many support questions have we gotten so far? I mean, it's been like, well, like four, maybe five since... Since we released this, we're like, ah, this thing's not working. Something is broken. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, send me your log file. Ah, I think what's broken is your firmware. (laughs) Yeah. We've had probably at least three or four of
0: those be (laughs) where the the initial response is, you know, hey, I think Spike Mark and your stagehand are not in sync. You got to make sure you update. And no, 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 no. It's definitely up to date. Like, ah. the log, the, log file, more. <laughs> the log file says otherwise. Yeah, yeah, and uh, totally understandable because, of course, you know if you have multiple computers in the shop, and they, you know, mm-hmm. one gets updated and the other one doesn't. Um, but yeah, that's one of those cases where you're like, nah, I'm pretty darn sure this is what it is because there's no other reason why that would happen. <laughs>
1: <But>
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, but yeah, so update, 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 and it's free. So you know, you just get all the you get all that goodness for nothing. Yep. Go use it. Um cool. And then uh we have here on the list we have shop changes, which I think is an, an old note but it's evergreen. So, um, I think that was from like July. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so I don't know what of these things we've talked about, but we were talking about one of the sub items here is staffing, and we have we have had fairly major changes to our staffing in the last year and a half. Um and continues to evolve. I mean, we've got, uh, I guess, a dozen people um, on the on the staff now. Um, but some of the highlights are uh, obviously Mike has been. <laughs> you've been here. You passed your one year anniversary now.
1: I know, I know. Yeah, which is exciting. Thanks for the balloons. They were they were a hit with my daughter for like two <laughs> and a half weeks before they finally before they finally didn't float anymore. <laughs> I
0: got the Mylar ones because I know those things stick around like luggage. I mean, well, those things are.
1: They yeah. stuck around forever. Yeah, we played a game. She decided the game was keeping the balloon down. <laughs> so I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of
0: course Brian uh, is running operations now for us. Uh, so he's doing like logistics and keeping the shop running well, and uh, and overseeing rentals and many things. Organizing, organizing, organizing.
1: organizing. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Everything has a box. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Which it is does and, awesome. and all of our and all the boxes are better too. Yes. So, so it's, it's yeah. just wild improvements we being
1: stepped made. up our crating game.
0: Yes, the crating is significantly better than it has ever been in the past. Um, it's really good, and like uh, he's put a lot of effort into making our uh, rental packaging better too. Uh, yeah. Getting that those scenarios worked out and yeah, he's doing, he's doing bang up job everywhere. Um, and then we've got some new people on the floor. We got Rada and Brian Fassbender and Mark Drillette. Um, so we've got new guys from that, from all walks of life. So, um, you know, from theater backgrounds and then from straight up fabrication and machining backgrounds. Um, yeah. And then I don't know anything. Any other highlights that we need to hit on that? Am I missing anybody? No. Well, Steve. I guess we didn't. (laughs) Steve and Ed. Jesus. So, Ed Weingart. uh, If we haven't mentioned that before, Ed Weingart, who uh, works for us now part time. Uh, He um, he's still running the program at UConn, um, but um, one day a week he swings onto the staff of Creative Connors and he does an awful lot of R and D work with us. Um, And then Steve Nath, uh, who interned with us a couple of years back and then got his graduate degree from Purdue and then went and worked for Tate is now uh, back in the fold. Um, and so he's, he is doing great work uh, in the product design team
1: uh, doing a yes. lot of engineering work. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, we're every day trying to, you know, we're embracing and, and making better on our, you know, on our internal inventory procedures and our rental rental system. I think we've, I don't know about you, Gareth, but I've finally, you know, kind of really come to love and embrace our rental, <laughs> our <laughs> rental software. <laughs> and I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a big fan from the beginning. I was a big fan, but I'm finally like, I, I think a few months ago, I finally kind of like really, you know, really kind of accepted that how awesome it was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we're using current. Current
0: RMS uh, rental management system, which is a web-based solution, and really quite nice. We I think we may have mentioned that on the podcast before, but if if not, that is the software that we're using, and it's pretty awesome. And then our in- internal inventory system for production is uh, something we develop in house called OTS or off the shelf, and uh, that has made some big advancements in the last uh, in the last year as well as we. Uh, it was a, a an old desktop thing that i'd written years ago and then we've moved it and webified it and stuff and, uh, and that's great yeah it it's really great
1: you know it's i mean between between those of us who aren't in the shop you know both pete and i can log into it and check order histories or see what's there or put in a you know put in a purchase order um you know or yeah. a sales order and you know get things moving through it's pretty awesome
0: yeah, yeah, and it's very easy to, like, recall history on yes. parts of where, you know, parts have been used up or what history of uh, customers' orders and things, and it's it's pretty nice. And then um, and getting better, it's still, <laughs> I mean, because it's, cause it's an internal tool, there's always some, some rough spots, and we make them better over time and stuff, but it's a, uh, it is really custom fit for this small manufacturer, which is hard to find yeah. uh, out in the world, so that. And then for collaboration, we've been using Basecamp a lot um, for yeah. kind of communication and tracking projects as well, um, which I think has been you know mostly successful. I think it's it, there are some there's some big holes in Basecamp that it would be be nice to fill. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> but so far at least we have one thing. I think it has done a good job of is tying the shop together better with uh you know with you and Pete and Ed all being yeah. remote um and having a place to collect information
1: yeah it's been it's been very good and i think i mean i think only in the last well certainly since the you know since january it seems like we've all kind of kind of dug into it a little bit further and a little bit deeper and are using it um much more yeah. regularly at least i certainly am using it much more regularly than i was before january and um and it has been, you know, it's very cool. It's very cool to like actually have a place to put all this stuff that isn't your email. Um, yes. And, you know, to be able to go back and just look at it. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and it, like, I think it was, you brought this up the other day that one of the nice things that we just turned on was the, um, the, what are the you check-ins. working on? Yeah. Yeah. What are you working on? what do you work on today? And everyone gets asked that question, uh, at the end of the day. And, it's really helpful for. I mean, it's really helpful to read other people's, but it's also really helpful for me personally just to like itemize what I did, <laughs> like in the yep. whirlwind, the whirlwind dervish of what every day turns out to be. Uh, once the bell rings, uh, it's nice at the end of the day to have a little recap, and then to kind of look at like, oh, what, what did everyone else do today? And then you feel more connected, and you know kind of more what's going on, and you can also see, you know, like, um, you know how. Projects are moving along through the
1: through the shop, even if you haven't talk in, talked to that person directly all day. So I think it's nice. Yeah, it's good. It's been, you know, pretty... I don't know. I think it's been pretty awesome. To, yeah. You know, just to see how it goes, right? Like what it's doing, what everybody yeah. is doing. As you said, you know, that... I don't know. That kind of struck me. I mean, I said it the other day to you, right? That it was like, oh wow, everybody's using this now. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> like like everybody is using it. it was like, yeah. Wow. Well, I better make sure that I'm, you know, actually doing it too. Then.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. That's how I feel too. Yeah. Like, I'm like oh, if they ah, if they wrote what they did today, I better write down what I did today. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. Uh, and then the last thing here on the on the list, Mike, is the uh, revolver
1: and friction wheel. Oh my God! It has been it has been like it's been it the feel, year of the turntable. It feels yeah, and this year is young, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, my goodness! Like every single, it seems like every third phone call I'm picking up on the tech support line is a revolver question, or yeah. problem or some sort of friction drive. Whether it's a revolver or somebody you know somebody else's friction drive, but you know we. Um, I mean, like, holy cow, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, we worked with the Steppenwolf, they came up, they designed their own, uh, and that was maybe a big part of this. This wasn't so much support. This was kind of integration, uh, to of a custom machine into the stage hand and how we, you know, got through there and, um, but they made some, and we talked through, we talked with them through some design ideas for their own path yeah. I think that was like an edge, it was an edge driven edge, uh, chain drive on the edge. Yeah. Um, but you know, run by operated on a stage hand pro. And so there's dual encoders. And, uh, so we have a speed and position encoder for some, you know, some serious, <clears throat> some serious control in there. Um, mm-hmm. we integrated one of our J boxes with them. So they, we sent them a J box and they mounted it to their custom machine so they could just plug in the pro cabling. Yeah. Um instead of, you know, doing something <laughs> potentially terrible with wire nuts. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. Yeah, we ended up just giving selling them basically the well not basically yeah. we sold we sold them the J-box we use for our uh turntable machine. Yeah. Um and added in like a DIN rail strip with terminals in it so they could yeah. just Pop in their their terminations um, and didn't have to wire up the connectors, because right. uh, those connectors, the IRC connectors or the uh, Harding style connectors you know you need special crimping tools and stuff and um, they'll I wouldn't say they're fussy but they are labor intensive uh, if you don't have the we have like the we're set the, up yeah we are set up we have the pneumatic crimpers and the and the stations and stuff to do
1: it so we can bang them out pretty quick. Um. But you know we've also run into. I mean, outside of like that was kind of you know that wasn't really tech support. That was more just fun trying to figure out a machine, um, you know. But <laughs> some of the some of the calls and some of the details with like especially with the friction drives, it's like you know troubleshooting troubleshooting a friction drive, like you know we're not we're not getting to our mark or it's speeding yeah. up and slowing down or. Yeah. Um, it ramps up really nice, but it stops really abruptly at the end. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry not to laugh at anybody who <laughs> has been through this because I have also been on the receiving end of this sort of trouble, but no, um, I mean, I think the only
0: thing that's funny about it is that there's just so many, there are so many ways that these things can go yeah. wrong. Right. And then, and there are uh, different reasons for each problem. Yeah. yeah right? But the first thing to do, like when you're doing a turntable, right. It, a Frick drive turntable and you're having any sort of inaccuracy on,
1: um, on positioning is to set up match marks. Yeah. And I mean, I would even be so bold as to say, do that before you even try and set your position scale. Sure. Just, you know, put a match mark on your wheel, on your encoder wheel and on the edge of the turntable and find yourself a match mark on your, on the, on the top of your turntable and your surround, drive it around manually and drive it back to line up your, your deck match marks and see if your see if your encoder wheel matches up
0: (laughs) and and, yeah and that can't be overstated right then it's like you want to mark the turntable to the floor you want to mark the frick wheel to the turntable and you want to mark the encoder wheel to the turntable yeah you gotta roll you know go out some amount somewhere around 360 degrees it doesn't really matter Uh, but the key is now reversed course and come back and line up the turntable to the surround deck and if everything was working perfectly if those were meshed gears then everything should line back up when you come back to zero right um but and you're just doing this on manual right like you're just jogging like forget the computer yeah. at this point you're just trying to make sure that everything is not nothing's slipping. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, something is slipping <laughs> like right. somewhere. Something is not uh, tensioned well enough. And usually it's at least the encoder and sometimes, and often the, the drive wheel too. Um, it, and now is that then at that point you start playing with tension and well, playing with meaning increasing, yeah. um, increasing Just tension uh, to make it. sure you get better contact on the, on everything. And, The other problem you can run into with encoders is if they're not completely planar to the turntable. Like, if you imagine if that encoder wheel was, you know, standing up vertically and the turntable was running around, then you'd get nothing for position. It would be totally inaccurate because it's just dragging across the wheel. Get a nice flat spot on your your encoder wheel. It'd be nice. It'd be like the world's most expensive sander. Yeah. (laughs) And then if uh, if it was perfect it's going to run like meshed gears. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it's somewhere in the middle. And so it's kind of running a sawtooth pattern where the wheel is kind of climbing up the edge of the turntable and snapping back down and climbing up and snapping back down. And you got to tweak the level until you, until you get it right. Until they, yeah. So. And that's it, yeah when yeah. it's right. It like, we just made a 24 foot turntable for Chicago shakes and uh, with a, Beautifully, you know, perfect, well, perfect, a, a strong word, but like with nothing more than about an eighth inch of run out on the turntable over 24 feet, which is pretty good. Yeah. And, um, and a strong center. Um, and, and that thing, like when he, you know, if you do that test and run out and run back, uh, it is lining up dead, you know?
1: Yeah. A few months ago I, I went on site, uh, I went on site here in the city trying to figure out a. They were somebody was having an encoder issue on a edge drive turntable, and it turned out that their encoder was going bad. And once we replaced the encoder, Mm. um, once we replaced the encoder and made sure it was level on there, we were our accuracy with was I don't know. It was like an eighth of an inch, maybe. Yeah, you know, from start to finish, and we weren't we weren't gaining more than I don't know. I think they were gaining like a quarter or a half an inch over. It was like four full revolutions yeah yeah it's like yeah that's 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 really good yeah that's you're not gonna find much better than that (laughs) yeah not on a friction
0: drive right like you know if you if you need dead accuracy and you're like trying to line up tracks or something then really a friction drive dancer wheel encoder is just not the right sensor for you you know you you're gonna need something geared literally geared into there but um but the uh, dancer wheel is very convenient because you can build kind of any turntable and then drop it down on the, on the perimeter and read the edge of the turntable with the dancer wheel. And that's yeah. pretty easy. So, um, and then you've got some signs that your revolver needs some tuning
1: love, like as we all do. From time yeah. To time. Yeah. Every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if one of the biggest things, uh, I mean, I touched on it before, but if you're getting if you're getting some bad movement, you know, if you're yeah. if you try and if you can jog your machine and everything seems cool, but as soon as you try and write a cue, you get erratic movement or speed up, slow down, sort of problems. You know, those are those are indicative of you've got some tension issues on the with the drive wheel or the friction wheel, or you've got some tuning problems. And one of the biggest signs in the tuning problems is um, when your cue timing in Spike Mark. In real life, don't actually meet at the apex of awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Um. You know where you. So what I mean is that you can run a queue and it'll tell you it's going to take, uh, let's say, thirty seconds to complete, and you're going down. It's counting down, counting down to zero, and then it starts counting. Then it starts counting in the other direction, uh, yeah. and you're still going. Um. That is yeah. that is one surefire sign that that you need some tuning, uh, because right. or that you're telling you're asking the turntable to go too fast. Uh, right. that is actually going faster than it can go, or that you've programmed it to go faster than it can go. Right. Um, one good way to figure that out right off the bat is to make sure that that little box, abort on position tu- on position error, uh, is actually checked. Yeah. <laughs> and when you press the go button, if it faults out with a little ruler in a position fault and spike mark, yeah. then then we got to go back to the tuning, tuning drawing board. Right. Or uh, the other
0: thing I is- if you suspect your tuning is good, the other thing I tell people is try writing a cue that is half the speed, Mm. you know, just like cut your speed in half and see if it runs because if that's the case, then chances are you've written, you know, the the machine is being told to run faster than it can physically obtain. Right. Um, And that will be a a quick, easy way to see like, ah, it runs fine. (laughs) If I at half the speed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've
0: got a speed problem.
1: (laughs) We have a speed problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned before, you know, another another piece on the speed front, you know, if mm-hmm. you're asking it to go too fast, um, is, um, you know, if you get to the end of your queue, if you're running and your ramp up is smooth and then the end of your queue is very abrupt, um, that generally also is a sign that you're, go, you're attempting to go too fast. Yeah, because an odd quirk of the motion controller is that
0: if it's behind uh, target time-wise... That it will throw out the deceleration ramp to try to make up time, and it's <laughs> goofy at best, but that's what it does. Yeah. And, and so that's the—if you know that, then you can—if you see, because the the symptom is weird. It's not like it faults; it just runs and stops very abruptly, as if no deceleration. But you check target, and it's on. Right target. on. Yeah. 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 And that is a sign that you're trying to run too fast. And one way you can check to see, you know, Spikemark has a speed readout. So you can jog the thing and watch the speed readout and see what your number is and make sure that the the velocity that is the actual maximum is not, uh, that that is, you're not exceeding that in your queue. Uh, you don't like if it's, if it reads out at 36 inches per second and you're programming it to go 48 inches per second, you got a problem. Yeah. The machine can't actually do that. Um, or the other thing that I'd like to do is I look at the VFD readout while it's running. And if it just ramps up and stays pegged at full Hertz output, if it just sits there at 60 Hertz for the whole queue, then it's, it's a good indication that it's really being told to run faster than it can because the motion controller is just flooring it Uh, because even at full speed you'll see some little variations in that flicker it'll flicker from like 60 to 59 60 to 59 60 to 58 60 to 59 um as it's running as it's making minute adjustments uh throughout the queue and if it's um and if it's just staying
1: steady at 60 hertz then you've programmed it to go faster than it can really go because it's just flooring it and that's it right Right, and there are ways to get around that. You can overspeed the turns. You can overspeed your stage hand and get a little faster. Um, yep. You know, and if you're the, <clears throat> it is, it is, it is totally doable. It depends on how far into the process you are and whether or not it's the right thing to do. <laughs> correct.
0: Correct. Because something that uh, has come up from time to time when you bring this up to folks, you know, you say, hey, you know, it's it's just being que- it, it was queued to go faster than it is. Let's just lower the the programmed rate. And then, um, y- the responses from the, the artistic team sometimes <laughs> like, no, 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 we can't change the cue. It can't go slower. And you're like, well, it's not, we're just changing the number. Like it was going as fast as it could possibly go. Us changing the number from 48 to 36 just means it'll a- actually be correct. Now it, it was only ever going 36 inches a second anyway, because that's all it could do. Like it was, it was at full speed. Um, but you'll get sometimes a little bit of uh, pushback.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can't change it now. Well Yeah.
0: You're like, no, we're not changing it now. We're just yeah, we're making not. the numbers make sense.
1: But I guess so. I mean, we can leave it there if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. How's that saying go? Uh no <laughs> um, anyway, I think uh, any you know, there's uh one other one other wheel tension problem on revolvers that's you know pretty indicative of a of a tension issue is a pile of rubber underneath the underneath the revolver um you know yeah if, if you're if you don't have quite enough tension on your uh up against the edge of the turntable and the drive then the wheel is just going to spin out uh until it can start going and yep. um and uh yeah <laughs> yeah pile of rubber yeah you probably need a little more tension more in Tension. It. yeah um, we did make a little handy guide uh, about a month ago, I think, maybe two months ago, um, for, for how to check your accuracy on your um, uh, encoder accuracy, specifically, uh, on a turntable, on a friction drive. And um, where is that guide? It is on our website. It is uh, under manuals and directly below the revolver manual, as a matter of fact. So it's creativeconners.com oh. slash resources slash manuals. <laughs> and uh, yeah right under our push stick uh, right under our revolver yeah uh, and it's called friction wheel tensioning guide yeah that's right that's right i was going to call it tension guide but you know <clears throat> decided there's already enough tension ha <laughs> <laughs> ha that Got was it. unscripted can you tell <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah it's a great little guide and it's it's very brief but it has a nice little pictorial in there too um and you know it's a it's a good write-up of all of these ideas uh, of everything we just talked about in written form
1: well laid out and should help a lot of people so um good good. yeah and you know and and just to like wrap this up it's all important anytime you're doing anytime there is automation involved in the show um turntables and tracks anything you know it's important just to have enough time for the technical aspects to make sure that it's actually functioning and doing the things that you think it's going to be doing Um, because rushing into rushing into a show rushing into tech if you haven't had the opportunity as the automation operator or td to really you know to tune them to tune the gear to make sure it's running and operating correctly it's uh it you're setting yourself up for Unfortunately, some some rough time during the tech process. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can even just get a couple hours to um, with you know no artistic folk on stage to be able to run the turntable around and make sure that you're hitting your marks and you're hitting your timing, um, it will make the whole tech process smoother. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's sage advice. <laughs> it's just just from a you know a ta- a trail of tears. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: sweet well I think that's it um, thanks everyone for listening uh, If you like the show please rate it on iTunes and tell your friends it's the best way for people to find the show and if you'd have if you have things you'd like us to talk about send an email to podcast at creativeconners.com. See you next time.